Where'd you go? Okay, here I am again. Rebecca, compulsive overeater. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to the workshop, Breaking the Pattern. Um, I am a compulsive overeater and the moderator for this session. Uh, we would appreciate the phones off. <laughs> Help us preserve the cherished tradition of anonymity by refraining from taking pictures in this or any other meeting. The, which cracks me up. I mean, like, okay. <laughs> it's like you're going to take my picture, right? <laughs> but I have to tell you because I know you're dying to break up the Kodak. Okay, the format for this session is a reading, two speakers, and an ask a basket, which I guess I'll be passing. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, a basket with pencil and paper will be circulated for you to write any questions you may have for the speakers. Please specify whom your question is for. The reading is from for today, page 148, if anyone has one and wants to follow along. The man who never alters his opinion is like standing water and breathes reptiles of the mind, William Blake. I was sure my life would never change, that it would stay the same. Then something happened. I found OA, or OA found me. That was the beginning. Today my opinion on what is good and bad, right and wrong, how things should or should not be, changes with awareness, with courage to admit my defects and willingness to give up old ideas. Some days I feel stuck, unable to let go. Let me look at my opinion. Where did I get it? Is it something I believed as a child? Is it still valid? Why do I keep it? There is profit in questions. Answers come to me just as they did in the beginning when I found a way. For today, I stop in the middle of an old answer, an old habit, an old way of thinking, and ask myself, is this really the best way, or is there a better one? Um, our first speaker is, you know, actually this has changed. Uh, it was sort of a mix-up this morning, and so these names are not... <laughs> yeah, yes, right, I do know their, their names, but... Uh, it says from Laguna Beach, and I know no one here is from Laguna Beach. So it's uh, Jeannie and Michelle will be speaking for uh, 25 minutes each. I'm going to go ahead and ask uh, Michelle to speak first. Don't say the serenity prayer or anything. Uh, we, we, close, we close with the serenity prayer. Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't try. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Is there a timer? No. Yeah, so if someone could... Can you tell me 20 minutes? Okay. Okay. I got to watch, but once I get going... Um, I'm Michelle, compulsive overeater. Okay, let's say the serenity. <laughs> God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. They will not mind you done. Um, <laughs> this is not the way it was supposed to look. Um, and it's, it's funny because this, this has changed for me. I screwed up. I didn't sign in as a speaker, and so they, like, lined up two other speakers instead of me, and it gets instead of someone in Laguna Beach. And, um, uh, and so, you know, I'm sitting there sitting up there feeling crappy about myself. Well, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. I made a mistake. It doesn't mean I am a mistake. And, uh, and you know, my, my thought process, this thing about, you know, the old thoughts, where do they come from, the old opinions, where do they come from? Well, you know, obviously they come from younger years. 
and I, I could dwell on the younger years. I could dwell on, you know, criticism and stuff like that. I don't need to. Now I get a chance to sit there and, you know, think about all those readings and the fifth step, OA 12 and 12, where it says, now we know we made a mistake, but we're not a mistake. And that make, making mistakes is human. And so I have confirmed I'm human. Um, and so, um, anyway, uh, I, uh, the other thing I'm human is that, and, and this kind of goes along with the thing about making mistakes, is that um, I used to always be, like, really overly prepared for everything I did. Um, you know, I did really well in school, really well at work, and, uh, and overly prepared. And uh, I've had to learn um, in this program that when I'm not prepared um, to speak, uh, I tend to speak more from my heart than from, from my head. And in this program, that, that seems to need to be the source. Um, otherwise, it comes out sounding funny, and there's lots of you knows. There may still be lots of you knows. Um, so anyway, um, so last night I went up to prepare. I realized I don't even know how to prepare anymore. Um, and so I did take a, take, I wrote down a couple notes. And, the fir- and so I'll just get through those notes, and then we'll, then we'll start. But um, the first thing is, is uh, Rebecca, and a lot of other people always tell me to qualify. Um, and so I've been coming to OA for four, actually almost five years. I, I, I get to move it up because I've been saying four and a half, but now it's well over four and a half, and, and I'm going on five. And um, I've been absent for that entire time. Um, absent imperfectly. Just I, you know, I never heard someone come into OA and say they've been absent perfectly. Um, but I've definitely been imperfect. I, you can believe me on that one. Um, and I, um, I've lost. I've maintained a 50-pound weight loss during that time. And um, and that's the uh, that's the miracle, not the losing the weight, because I went up and down a lot uh, before I came here. Um, and so the topic is, is breaking the pattern and letting go of, of opinions and old ways of doing stuff. And, um, and that's my second note on there to remind myself of the topic so I stay on topic. So I got, I got that. And then the third note is the steps and tools. Um, so that's it. Now that's, that's what I need to talk about. Um, but anyway, I, and the only way I know how to do this is to start from the beginning and work, work my way up. And my experience is that I was stuck with a lot of old opinions, a lot of old messages. Um, I was um, a compulsive overeater. I didn't find that in adulthood. I was a compulsive overeater when I was really young. And um, I don't know if it was, you know, I don't know chicken or egg. I was also, like, unbearably shy. And, um, and, and so I compensated a lot in terms of school and, and, and athletics and, and things like that. And I definitely, even early on, had a lot of old thoughts, you know, that I'm not good enough, um, that if I would just control, you know, if I would just find the right diet, just lose the, the right weight, get to the right weight, that, that everything was going to be okay. And when I came in here, um, this is, you know, I'll, I'll say what my life, my life looked like when I, when I came in here. Um, I, I'm, a, I'm a lawyer, and it's, it's like when I first came to OA, I didn't like to say that because I thought it was bragging. It's not bragging anymore. <laughs> it's my story, and it's a, um, it's a really important part of my story because I worked. I was working like 80 hours a week, and uh, I still, um, and I had two kids, two, uh, two. You know, at one point, I mean, I had two kids, and I'm still working eight hours a week. Um, I was compulsively overeating. I, I never felt good enough. Um, no matter how much success I got in my job, 
I never felt good enough. And I really always thought that if I would just lose the weight, I would be okay. And um, and I was constantly, you know, I'm trying to keep keep this on the on the uh, on the subject, but I was very inflexible. I I really thought, you know, if I worked harder, if I did better at work, if I did if I lost weight, if I followed the rules, somewhere in there, I was going to be okay. And I'd say, you know, a few years before I came in here, my life was definitely at a bottom. I had, my kids were, were really young, four and two. I was um, working a lot of hours. I can remember my marriage was falling apart. Uh, I didn't I didn't know why. I was pretty sure that it was my husband's fault. Um, I was, uh, and I can remember driving home from work late at night, and uh, I had to drive home after drive over a river. And thought, you know, I might as well turn my car off the freeway and into the river. And um, it, because, you know, I just couldn't do it. And, and that really is someone who's pretty resistant to change. You know, that is someone who's not accepting things the way they are. And, and it just, you know, that there is no way to change. And that, you know, that, that I had these blinders on. And with food at that point, I could kind of, re- I could remember, you know, working, having little kids, being married. Um, I can remember thinking, you know, I can't control my food. I just can't. I have all this other, these other things I need to control. I can't control my food, too. Like, I had a choice. Um, and I, um, I came into OA um, four and a half years ago. Actually, I came into OA nine years ago. I went to one meeting, and um, I heard a lot about God. I heard a lot about... Um, there were some like anorexic and bulimics there, and uh, people with really severe eating disorders. And I just like I don't belong, especially the God thing. And people came up and tried to talk to me and hug me, and I just said this isn't for me. And dashed out, and came back um, about five years later. And when I came, by the time I had come back, my marriage had gotten worse. I was going to marriage counseling. Um, I didn't really think. I had a very severe eating problem because my husband was has a is more obese than me, so I pretty much thought it was his problem. Uh, my mere 50 pounds was was my only problem. And I came here um, just like everybody else. Nobody comes in here to um, to change to to change their life to to completely change how they're going to live their lives, and uh, or to, to even change their opinions or their judgments or their shoulds and shouldn'ts. Because mine were so ingrained, I, I didn't really think they needed to be changed. I was still a pretty good person. Uh, I just needed to lose weight. And uh, I, um, I, uh, so I walked in these doors after the marriage counseling because my husband had started. And one, the, the difference was this time was, number one, I had gotten down to my goal weight. I had done a pay-in weight, which is a really good, I think it's a good pay weight, but I had done it. In fact, I'd done it about ten times, but I finally actually got down to um, my, you know, the maintaining kind of weight. And uh, and just, you know, people, I've heard people say they maintained their weight for for fifteen minutes and then they um, and then started going up. I did, I never maintained it because I still thought I needed to lose weight, even though I weighed fifteen pounds less than I weigh right now. And so my fear of anorexics and bulimics, you know, I was heading there. It's, it's all part of the same same disease, and I, um, you know, so I came here to lose weight, and I got a sponsor right away because that's what I was supposed to do. So some of my rules, some of my opinions, 
this, if I put, point them in the right direction, they work. And one of my rules was you do what people tell you to do. You just do it. You follow the rules. And so people said get a sponsor, and so I did. I also came in um, and I, uh, I went on a diet when I got here. And, and that's how I kind of got down to my, my maintaining weight, but it wasn't a way, a way to live. And uh, it, it didn't teach me how to live. It didn't teach me how to be sane with food. And so six months into the program, I, I had to work, that, work on that issue. And um, what, in terms of break, breaking the pattern and changing, it wasn't like I came here to change. I, I really didn't. And um, I am, um, I, uh, but I started working the steps with my sponsor. And when I got to the fourth step and uh, we started uh, looking at defects and, and things like that, I was pretty sure I didn't have any. And I tried to do it the big book method where you start with the resentment. And so I started with my husband. It was really easy to come up with the resentment part, but to come up with the my part part was impossible. And, um, and so I, because I, I really didn't think so. I was really a good girl. I followed the rules. I followed the teachings, you know, of my religion. I've been married for a long time. Um, I followed sort of the teachings of my, um, my 60s upbringing. I had a job. I kept my last name. I, you know, I did all the feminist stuff too. I mean, I really, I really was somebody. I followed the rules and did what I was supposed to do. And, uh, and never mind that my life was miserable. It wasn't my fault. And so I, I, uh, I started. So I switched. My sponsor said, "Do push up however you want. Just do it." You know. And so, you know, being perfect, I wanted the perfect way. And so I started answering the questions in the OA 12 and 12, where it actually sort of directs you to your defect. And the first questions, I can, if I recall correctly, are about being controlling. And, um, and so then I, so I kept going on the questions, and there was hardly a question that I didn't have some behavior involved. Even questions were those that they would say, um, you know, are you, somebody, are you people-pleasing and yet where you don't speak up? And I'd say, yeah, yeah, that's me. I mean, that is me. But then it would say, or are you someone who's constantly picking on people and creating trouble? Yep, that's me, you know, when we're talking about my husband and my kids. And so there was hardly a question I couldn't answer. I think there's things about murder, and I've never done it. I've done it in my heart, but I've never actually done it. And, uh, and, and, and at the point that I did these questions, I didn't have much to say about the sex questions, but since then I've gotten to look at that as well. Um, I, you know, I just wasn't ready. And, uh, and plus, you know, even when you're in program, you do behaviors that aren't, uh, you know, that you ought to look at. <laughs> and so, I don't, they're defects, but what the hell. Um, and so, it's through the steps that, um, that I got the relief from these very, very rigid rules. And uh, I, um, you know, and it, and it was through sponsors. It was through, you know, my other note here is, is uh, it's, the other thing I wanted to say besides the fourth step, in the, in the fourth step where you look at your defects and you move to, to move through and realize that you need to change, then you do the fifth step and you realize you can trust people, you can tell them what you're doing, and um, and then the relief, the real relief in terms of change and the way you look at things is in the sixth and the seventh step um, because that's when you start releasing them. And um, so once you start working the steps, when I first came into the program and had a sponsor and started talking to her. And uh, and you, and I uh, 
I don't want to sort of emphasize just change in, in your life, just change in your life, just, just a complete drastic turnaround. Um, that, but, but I know in some ways breaking the pattern means breaking the food, food pattern and compulsive overeating pattern. So I don't want to just emphasize the change in your life. Change in life after four and a half years in OA, that's where you, well, that's where I have started to see um, the effects of the program. But um, anyway, I, um, and more gets revealed as, as you go on. And uh, in terms of breaking the pattern in terms of food, part of my, my pattern initially was just come in and, and just have a real strict food plan, which I've called a diet. But then to break the pattern of the diet, to start living sanely with food, I just I had to do the same thing I do with all my defects. I had to write about it. I had to talk about it with people. And the weird thing was, was after about a year in the program, um, you know, my marriage was gone. I stuck with it for three more years, but it was gone. There had, you know, I found out about a lot of betrayal, and that's what kind of helped me with the dieting pattern. Why? Because I got into the food, and uh, I got to, I got into food where I ate, uh, I ate some cookies at a at a potluck, and I hadn't had sugar for for a year. And uh, did that? Did I consider that a break in my absence? Flat out, no. A couple cookies is not a break in my abstinence because that's not what my compulsive overeating looks like. And that's, if anybody, this is not on defining plan of eating versus abstinence, but I'd, be, I'd love to talk to somebody, anybody who wants to talk about that. But I, so first I had to break the pattern of, of dieting and trying to control food. And it was like losing it, that sort of losing it by these cookies that I found myself reaching out, connecting the food with the feelings and the steps, um, I have a sponsor where I'll, I'll call and say, you know, I ate this extra food. Nowadays, it's an apple or a yogurt and stuff. And she'll say, Michelle, if we weren't talking about the food, what would we be talking about? Um, and I, um, anyway, uh, I'm going to flip flop back and forth because I don't think the food's really a separate issue. I guess my concern was that, that people see that topic and they, they think it's not separate from the rest of the change that, that needs, needs to be made in your life. Yesterday, I was having um, dinner with someone, and, and I said, you know, the one thing that's really caused all this drastic change in my life is this something that I'd heard on my first meeting from the first speaker, which she said she needs to put her absence first. It has to come before her marriage. It has to come before her kids. And that's what, that's what I have needed, I have to do in my life. Otherwise, I am not there for my kids. Um, the husband's gone. Uh, <laughs> I'm not there for my kids. And, um, you know, my life before I came to OA with my kids was that um, I came to OA, by the time I got here, they were 10 and uh, ten and 8. Um, so a year before I came here, one time I was yelling and screaming at them. And you can tell I did this frequently when I finished the story. Um, I, I was yelling and screaming. I went up to them and I apologized. See, I am a good girl. I'm a good girl. I, know you, I knew before I came here that you're supposed to apologize. What I didn't know was that it was possible to change, actually change my behavior and to change the way I lived and acted. And so I went to apologize to my nine-year-old. She was standing there in this pink little um, blanket sleeper thing. And she said, she, my, my, um, my seven-year-old said, I said, I'm sorry, you guys. I, I was mad. And actually, I was mad at their dad. I wasn't mad at them. And, uh, but he's really big, and they're little. They're really easy to yell at. Um, and I... Um, I said, I'm sorry, you guys. 
you know I love you, don't you? And the seven-year-old, oh, yeah, Mommy, we, we know you love us. And the nine-year-old said, um, said, looks at me, and she has, like, this look at the stain, and she's really adorable, especially at nine. She's, now she's almost 15. She's not so cute. Uh, but, but, but she, um, her personality is affecting my opinion of her, of her appearance. But she looked at me. I should have known then when I tell you what she said, but she looked at me. She had sort of snarling look on her face, and she said, how in the world would we know that you love us when you're always yelling at us? And, um, and you know, at the time I was going through marriage counseling, and, uh, you know, I said that to the counselor, and, and at we finished off the marriage counseling because it was just going nowhere, and I was getting yelled at when we left. We'd leave it. And she suggested my husband go to OA and that I go to therapy. And I'm not a therapy person, so I lasted three sessions. But, you know, like I said, I saw my husband losing weight in OA, and so I came to OA. And a year after I was in OA and I, the marriage started, started really going down the tube, I went to therapy, and I've actually been going for three and a half years. So the OA 12 and 12, it talks about, you know, getting outside help, that there's help you can't always get from OA. And, um, I mean, that's, that's just a big sign of the way, way I've changed. I mean, I, my views were so firm, it was only weak people go to therapy. Only weak people go to OA. Only weak people believe in God. And, um, and that's, that's, I mean, they were rigid. They're still, they still can get kind of rigid. Um, and I, um, so, you know, even I, last summer I went to the, an OA retreat at Lake Tahoe. So I'd been in the program for almost four years. And I'd always heard this retreat was great. I didn't go to things called retreats. You don't go to the huggy-feely retreats. In fact, you don't hug, all this hugging stuff. Um, and now I just love hugging. I'm standing out there waiting for my sponsor to walk by to go to another workshop saying, I need a hug, you know. And that's just that's just not, not who I was. Um, and, uh, you know, I was married for, for 19 years. And, uh, you know, he was... Um, he and I really helped each other through our lives together, um, and uh, I, I need to talk about this in terms of breaking the pattern. Uh, breakup of marriage is not necessarily part of breaking the pattern. In fact, it, it made it, it was part of um, accepting the way things were, stop living in a fantasy world, and loving him enough to let him go, and loving myself enough to let him to let me go. And um, so August 1st, I, uh, I separated last year. And um, by, at, at first, it was, it was great. I can remember t- I went uh, on a swim with an OA friend. And uh, it, a month later, I went to that retreat. Two weeks later, and I can remember saying, this is great. I don't know what people, why people would think this would be hard. And by October, though, I was really severely, severely depressed. I, I had gained weight. I had gained it about 10 pounds. Um, it was, it was within, you know, my weight does fluctuate up and down. Uh, it's never gone over 10 pounds, but it, it does fluctuate up and down. Um, not, not very often and not usually 10 pounds. So over the course of the years of working through these things with my marriage and, and therapy, I had lost, uh, I had gained 10 pounds. And in October, and I, and I also, as part of the separation, only get to see my kids every other week. And so... Um, which was really sad. It's still really sad and hard. And um, by October, there, were, uh, there was a week where I had them, and it was um, Sunday, Sunday, and I couldn't get out of bed. 
I was so depressed, I just couldn't get out of bed. Um, I had been, I call it, uh, I call it dabbling. Uh, some people call it slips in their food, and it's just dabbling. Dabbling in the food that's on my plan, but my plan is supposed to be three moderate meals a day. So dabbling in extra food, whether it's portions or, you know, yogurt at night, it was dabbling. Um, sometimes dabbling gets pretty severe. I know people in the program who would think that, that some of the, you know, some of the food I would eat would be a breaking out. Um, but for me, it's, it's not. It's not compulsive overeating. And as long as I refrain from that, I'm abstinent. I called my sponsor that night because I called her. I called her every day for over a year. Every single night at 9.30, I call her. And she said, Michelle, you need intensive care. You need intensive treatment. And we made a list of things I could do, intensive treatment in the program. And we made a list of things I could do, things that would work in the program, um, you know, a nightly tent step, uh, calling her, calling a food sponsor who, you know, i got to tell you that the, I mean, when I first came in, that idea of calling in my food, whew, that was weird. This person has been like a counselor to me. You know, I call, it's just been connecting with an OA person, you know, and it's fantastic. So we, we made a list of things I could do, praying every day, um, working my, the step that I'm on, working, you know, you know which is step eight. Um, you know, I can't remember everything on the list praying and at the end of that prayer asking God to help me accept the gift of abstinence. Now, it's not like during this time where I gained the 10 pounds that I hadn't thought of over-exercising, which is part of my uh, my disease, or like doing, you know, some kind of diet. It's not like I hadn't thought of it. It's not like the 10 pounds didn't bug me. I really thought I could take control of this and do something about it. Um, and yet, I didn't. I was still gaining, you know, the 10 pounds were still there, or what, you know, it was, actually it was gradual over the course of the year, so that's not like, it used to be over the course of Christmas weekend, I would gain 10 pounds. And so, um, it wasn't like, you know, I was really thinking about the 10 pounds, but I was thinking, you know, I, I know I'm, I'm gaining a little bit of weight. But the weird thing was, was once I started doing these things, working the steps, reaching out, calling people, um, getting out of my, doing service, taking on an extra sponsee, of all the things to suggest, um, and uh, and writing and doing these things, I lost the 10 pounds. And and this was over the course, okay, over the course of Halloween, Thanksgiving, and Christmas. And so that that's how I break the pattern. Whether it's food, whether it's a a difficult marriage, for me, um, doing God's will, it's not easy. It doesn't change. Does not come smoothly. It's it's a difficult process. And, but, and for me, there is a huge wall of fear between God's will and me. And, and so sometimes I'll turn and do my will. But you know what? I always get slapped in the butt. I always get kicked back to, to you know, knowing what I need to do. And, um, and so, uh, so that's, that's it. And that's my, my thing on, um, on changing the pattern. And I am going um, to read one, one thing from the big book, even though my time's up. And that's... Um, the, uh, this, is, this is what I've gotten from this program because you know, really I was very rigid but there's this one story in the big book page 535 where he describes what his higher power is to him and that, this is really when I read this I said yes this is what it is to me and it's, he says I want to be one of his children God's children a member of the human race and as a child is a part of his father so do I now want to be part of God for always, over and above everything else, was the awfulness of the lack of meaning in life. Now for me, and, in my, and to my satisfaction, I know the purpose of life. 
The purpose of life is to create, and the byproduct is happiness. To create. Everyone does it, some at the instinct level, others in the arts. My personal definition, which I submit as applying only to myself, although everyone is welcome to it who wants it, so I took it, includes, includes every waking activity of the human being. To have a creative attitude towards things is a more exact meaning. To live and to deal with other human beings creatively, which to me means seeing God in them and respecting and worshiping this God. And that's what, it, that's what God is to me. It's a higher consciousness. It's a different way of thinking. It's being open to doing things differently. And so that's what I have found on change. So thanks. And now we're from Jeannie from Michigan. Overeater. It's uh, so nice to be here. I'm currently living in northern Michigan. I lived in Santa Monica area for over 30-some years. I moved to northern Michigan two years ago, but I'll tell you more about that later. I'm so happy to be here, and thank you, Michelle. I got a lot of what you said. got a lot out of it, and uh, I'm, I'm thrilled. I'm going to tell you a little bit about my story because um, you don't know me. And I don't know you, and I hope to get to know a lot of you before I leave for northern Michigan uh, tomorrow morning at dawn almost. I was, um, I love Overeaters Anonymous. It saved my life. I would not be standing here today if it was not for Overeaters Anonymous. I came in in June of 89. I've been in OA for 14 years. I'm maintaining a 125-pound weight loss. A day at a time subject to change tomorrow. Because it's a day at a time program, ladies and gentlemen. I I was born with an eating disorder. I don't hold anybody responsible for me being fat. I gained and lost. I'm a businesswoman. I'm just coming up on my 32nd year of my career. It's quite lucrative. So therefore, I had the means to get skinny a lot. I gained and lost 700 pounds up and down before I came to OA in June of 89. I wrote checks all over the world. I've been to doctors, lawyers, Indian chiefs, psychiatrists, nutritionists, fat farms, cosmetic surgeons. I've been to places in Europe where they don't even, not even approved here the methods they use in Europe because the FDA is very strict in this country, one of the strictest in the world. I'm pro- I've probably shortened my lifespan by a few years by trying methods that are unavailable in this country and will probably never be available. Um, I'm five foot eight. I probably weigh about 137 today. I weigh 260 pounds more than once. I gained and lost those 700 pounds. I'm a nutritional wizard. I know what to eat. I've been skinny a lot of times. I've been thinner than this. I've been 118 pounds for two years, years ago. And, you know, I never stayed thin. I never, I could never stay skinny. Because although I had all this knowledge and I had the means to write checks to everybody, I did not have the power to stop eating. I'd lost the power. And I was an eating machine. It was an awful life. By the way, I just got asked to speak a little while ago, so I have some notes here. Can you believe it? But um, money, I mean, let, me, let me tell you some ineffective tools for my eating disorder. Because I, 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 you know, we, we know all the tools. We read the eight tools at most meetings. Let me tell you some ineffective tools. Because gaining and losing 700 pounds, I had a spectacularly large life because of my career, no pun intended. I traveled all over the world. Uh, I have, you know, friends from all walks of life. Uh, through she she poo poo parties, 
went to the Shishi Poo Poo Spas and Resorts where they kind of, you know, brush your teeth and ask what nail color you want. I mean, it's easy to stay skinny in a controlled environment. But every time I checked myself out of those Shishi Poo Poo Resorts, life blew up and hit me in the face and I had to eat to take the edge off, to medicate, to coat the nerves against life. I had to eat. I just had to go out. So here's some, just a few ineffective tools. Money. Who cares? I wrote huge checks to be skinny. I always got skinny, but I had to rewrite them like years later because it just didn't stick. Um, love. Love from others. That's an ineffective tool for me to not reach for excess food. Good family. Great. It's an ineffective tool. Uh, being kind. I was kind when I was 257 pounds a lot of the time. Never stopped me from eating. There's a package in our book that says we can, it's a mere code of morals, the bottom of page 44. If, I'm a big book sufferer, can't you tell? Uh, if a mere code of morals were enough to keep us skinny, we would be read thin. I was the nicest person when I weighed 257. I used to get stopped on the street because you know who was my twin sister? Mama Cass. Not really by blood, but people thought I was her. They would ask me for her autograph because I wore a 24. I had the big, long, bushy hair the flowered moo-moo, and they would they'd go, I know who you are. And I thought it was Cheryl Teagues, because Cheryl Teagues was the it girl in my Cheryl Teagues. And, you know, they go, Cass Elliot. And I, I don't know whether to kick them or hit them or kiss them. It was a left-handed compliment. And this was a year after she died, for God's sake. And I said, watch the news, you idiot. She's dead. I'm not Mama Cass. And um, so that's what I did, gaining and losing 700 pounds. I would get, I would be 257, binging. My idea was the vacation was to Friday night, uh, disconnect the phone, draw the drapes, get the videos, plug them in, and go to my store and live in bed all weekend with all my buddies. Sugar salt, sugar salt, sugar salt. Pass out, wake up, do it all over again. That was my vacation. Some people save money to go to Tahiti. And I saved money to eat and binge. That was those were, that's how I escaped from life, from the world. And I would come in Monday morning, pissed off, because I ate all weekend. I was swelled up like the Michelin Man and the Macy's Day Parade. You know, all this salt, no rings, my eyes. You couldn't even, I was like the Pillsbury Doughboy. And I'd come in Monday morning down the hallway, breathing fire like Cruella DeVille with a cake, you know. <laughs> and all these poor secretaries would like jump, everybody would jump under their desk, because I was a monster. I was a very powerful person in my office. People, I, I, I was not the boss, but the boss took orders from me because I was, you know, can't you tell? Can't you tell? Anyway, and then on the flip side of that, I would go on a diet. Yippee! You know, do you ever go on a diet in the room here? Like a light switch. I'm not eating for the next nine months. I would do that, and I would go down to 118. There's, there's one thing worse than eating compulsively. It's not eating without any program. That's worse. If you don't have a program, don't stop eating. I'm telling you right now. That's I stopped eating without a program. It was the worst thing I ever did. I went down to 118. So here I was, skinny. I was either a 257-pound, poison-spitting, slithering snake, hating myself, hating you, hating the world, size 24. Or I went down to 118, and I was a size 4, 5'8", 118. 5'4", I mean size 4, slithering, poison-spitting, hating myself, hating you, and hating the world. The scale didn't matter. And I'd come in Monday morning again, 118 pounds, size 4, spitting poison. People dived under their desks. They were terrified of me. And my, I was a wreck. My, I was this vicious, evil rage machine because I did not have my, my drug. I didn't have my drug, which was compulsive overeating. And um, I would get girls fired like that. 
I, I went through secretaries like paper towels because they just got on my nerves because I was either on a diet or I wasn't on a diet. And somebody had to pay because I was single and I lived alone. Right? I couldn't take it out of my animals. They don't speak English. I'm a wonderful animal owner, by the way. Anyway, so I would say, I would go to my boss and I'd say, I can't stand this temporary secretary we have today. I hate her guts. I hate her earrings. I, I, you know, I, I, I had, it had to come out somewhere because I wasn't eating, right? I'd say, I want her gone by lunch. I'm going to lunch, and if she's not gone when I'm back from lunch, I'm gone. Do you understand that? They were, they were always gone because I, I ruled those office. And, you know, that was my life. And I was very popular. I had a big job, um, you know, and it was, I was miserable. I was in a prison, and I couldn't stop eating because one day I'd wake up 118 pounds, size 24, and I don't know what it was, a commercial a thought, a stale donut in the garbage somewhere along the street in the dumpster, and I would eat. Just like that, a light switch went off, and I ate for the next year, and I gained from up to 260, 257 was my top weight. You know, that was my life, and when I lost control, I knew I just could not gain control again. There was no, nothing in this planet, you know, we read it and how it works, there was no human power on this earth that could stop me from eating, none. And I went to all these little diet centers where these 16-year-old girls are wearing lab coats and a stethoscope telling me how to eat. And I'd buy their food, like the two-week supply, you know, in the big hefty trash bag. And I'd eat it in one night. I'd live on, you know, this was pre-rice cakes. And I didn't have any rice cakes to live on. And so that was my life, gaining and losing 700 pounds. Miserable at 118, miserable at 257. I was miserable with excess compulsive overeating, and I was miserable without it. What's a girl like me to do? Kill herself. Because I had to go. I had to go. Of compulsive eating got me through life. And I could not get through life without compulsive overeating. I was stuck. I had to check out. So I bought a cemetery plot and planned my suicide. I like that in Pennsylvania. And then somebody told me about OA. <laughs> you know, thank God, you know, suicide, you know, left me. And I went, went to an OA meeting in June of 89 in Santa Monica, California. And I saw you. I met you. I met all of you who knew the agony and the ecstasy of compulsive overeating. I had some good times eating. Let me tell you, I'd get read thin, and I would go, I could eat for the next eight months like a machine, and no one's going to notice. Because, you know, people, thin girls don't get criticized in public for eating alone like a horse. Like, you know, and I eat like a horse now, which I never do, by the way, say at a time. I see young, thin girls eating like machines, and no one gets, oh, they go, isn't that cute? But when I weigh 257, if I ever ordered like that, I'd get laughed out of the restaurant. You know, it's just, when, especially in Southern California. I'm a leper in Southern California fat because this to me, to my experience, not my opinion, it's like one of the, it's the worst addictions because people see it, except for the bulimic and the anorexics. When I walked into a, a party in Beverly Hills at one of my clients' homes and I'm wearing a size 24 Hawaiian muumuu and all the other girls are wearing a size 4 and all these little cocaine addicts are wearing a size 4 black cocktail dress, <laughs> they don't know they're cocaine addicts, but they sure know that Jeannie, the cow, is wearing a size 24. They know what I'm doing behind closed doors awful. My body is my calling card. It's horrible to be prejudged. And I was the nicest person when I was 257, but no one would ever get near me to find out because it's a visual world. And believe me, from my experience, it is not going to change in my lifetime. Fat is like the worst thing to be right now. They did this study. Kids in high school would rather be blind and lose the whim than be fat. Fat is the worst curse in the world because it's our calling card. So that is my story. That's how I got to OA in June of 89. You know what I did, breaking the pattern? I found you, and I found people like me, machine eaters, eating machines. I want to start a meeting called the Eating Machines. And you know what they did? They worked the program by the big book. 
I jumped into the current. I jumped into the river of recovery, and the current took me. And I'll explain that. I started hanging around with women who worked it. Abstinence was number one. Number two was emotional stability and centeredness. This is a threefold disease. It's not just about not eating. Because you know why? I look like this since August of 89. I mean, excuse me, December of 89. So what am I doing in the middle of a meeting? What I, why did I fly from northern Michigan here to a conference beside to see some precious friends? I flew here because my disease is an inside disease. It has nothing to do with what I eat. My insides rule my appetite. And my disease today is worse than when I came in here in June of 89 fat. I have to continue. I want to continue to come to OA and work the 12 steps to unwind my insides. My insides lead my outsides. It's not me overeating and then something's going to happen to my feelings and thoughts. It's the opposite. My feelings and my thoughts rule my plate at mealtime. And that's what OA is. OA is not about not eating. We can all go to a rehab center today and get skinny. OA to me is about living and not eating. That's what meetings are about. People tell each other what they did throughout the day without eating. They don't tell us what they ate. They tell us how they lived today without eating. So I came in here and I started hanging around with men and women. Got a sponsor who had what I wanted. She was not the thinnest, but she was the most peaceful person in the room. She did not want to compulsively overeat. People did not want to eat in this program. I hate the word winners. I just call them program workers. They, their house burned down. Kid wrecked his car on a motorcycle, got killed in a motorcycle crash. They got fired. Not only were they not compulsively overeating, they didn't want to. I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted the, the desire, the obsession to be removed. Because I know how to get skinny. Please take this sick, self-centered, you know, this low self-esteem, self-pitying person out of me. I hate myself. I, this is in June of 89, by the way. And they taught me. These women who work this program by the big book and the 12 steps taught me how to not react to life. And it says in our big book, and there's a few passages in there, one is like, we must smash our old ideas. That's called breaking the pattern. When I got a registered letter in the mailbox, I stopped at the 7-Eleven to, to binge before I signed for the letter at the post office. I don't do that today. I go to the post office and I sign for the letter. When I have to call a client that I can't stand, I had a large pizza the night before the meeting. I don't do that today. It's called breaking the pattern. And not only, like Michelle mentioned, not only is it breaking the pattern about reaching for excess food, it's breaking my emotional pattern. Because I was an angry, rageful, self-centered machine. Everything evolved around me. I was very self-centered and full of fear. Here's a couple things. If a sales lady at the department store is not as courteous to me as I think she should be, I would get her, I would get her fired. Be pre-programmed. I don't do that now. Maybe her mother's in the hospital. Maybe she had a fight with her husband this morning. Cut her some slack. It's not all about me anymore. That's my major pattern that I broke. It is not all about me at all. I am the, you know, I am the last person that people in the mall are probably thinking about, and I think everybody is looking at me. They're not. They're all thinking about themselves, about me looking at them. And, you know, and it's, it's fantastic. The, the major pattern was for me was to get the hell over myself. One of my first sponsors said that. Quit taking everything personal, including my new husband of four and a half years. When he gets a little short with me, he never attacks me, but he gets like, he starts to not listen. You know what that means, girls, you know, selective listening. Um, I, husband, I, I take it personally. Well, well, maybe, you know, maybe his constipation. I don't know. His, you know he, he has a troubled daughter, you know, speaking of murder. And... Uh, and, you know, well, maybe he just had a bad conversation with her and he doesn't want to disclose to me. Right away, I'm like, what's your problem? 
BS. I don't do that anymore. It's not about me. It's a wonderful pattern to break. Like when I came to this convention today, when I drove down here yesterday, this is not me. This is not the 257-pound, poison-stealing, self-centered, raging machine. I drove down here with my sponsor, Reed Heidi, and I said, we're going to make a point to work these rooms. We want to carry the message like we got it. Me, self-centered, me, who like, you know, gets bitchy if my French manicure is off a little bit because I got over my self-centeredness and to carry the message. And, you know, carrying the message makes food to me irrelevant. It's not that I'm Mother Teresa. Carrying the message and working the rooms and working with others and getting over my self-centeredness makes food irrelevant. I promise you I did that. So, you know, it's like... What I'm getting here. It's like, you know, it also says we will change our, we, we no longer react to life like we did in our old ways. I don't get angry if the pump at the gas station doesn't work. I pull to the next pump. This guy's trying to make a living too. In other words, I sort of like cut everybody in my life, when, you know, and these are all my really good days, slack. I give me some slack. You know, I never let anybody make one mistake in my presence. But yet I could make a lot of mistakes by gaining and losing 700 pounds. But I was so unforgiving to them. And by the way, unforgiving to you. Because the harder I am on myself, the harder I'm going to come down on you. So I got a sponsor. Anybody sitting here today without a sponsor is wasting their time. This program cannot be worked alone. And you know what? It's not a college course. I have a semi-photographic memory. I know this literature in four languages upside down. It does me no good to know this literature. I mean, it does me a little bit good because I can draw on it in my mind. But it's, oh, hey, it's not a college course. And it's not an endurance contest. So well, I've been, you know, I've been maintaining 14 years of abstinence. So I did start my food over two years ago. I'll tell you about that because it is about the food. So I've been this thin for 14 years, but I started my time over two years ago. But it's not an endurance contest. Whoever got up earliest this morning has the most abstinence in this room. I didn't get up till 7:30. I'll bet you there's a lot more abstinence than me. So it's a day at a time program. It's not about some big contest. And lastly, you know what OA is to me? It's a way of life. It's a fellowship. I still have that powerful, stressed-out, hoity-toity career. And you know what? I'm better at that than I ever was when I weighed 257. It is no, you know, OA is no interruption to my life. It's not like I'm waiting. If I think abstinence and being an OA is a thing that I am waiting to be over with, I should not be in these chairs. I should be out of here. There is no graduation for me. OA enhances my life. It's like brushing my teeth. Don't you, aren't your teeth stay whiter and clean if you brush them? I mean, do I look forward to the day that I won't have to brush my teeth? <laughs> Bingo! That's what OA is to me. Do I look forward to the day I don't have to feed my animals because they'll open the refrigerator themselves someday? Nope. That's how OA is for me. It's a way of life. I am surround myself by women and men who work it big time. I don't mean disciplinary Nazis. I hate that term. I mean women that go, Jeannie, we don't do that anymore in OA. Really? You don't take somebody's head off who, like, took your parking spot? No, you go find another parking spot. That's called changing the pattern of attacking people and being so self-centered. And it's a great life. Because, you know, people that, that knew me before a program, they don't know what happened to me. You know what happened? You know that office that, like, people used to jump under their desks and hide? They cannot wait for me to come in Monday morning now. Because... I love myself now a little bit better, and I think highly of me, and so I do of them. I cut them slack. They cannot wait for me to come in. They show me their little new litter of kittens, their new grandchildren, their vacation pictures. Why? Because I'm so important? No, because I'm genuinely, genuinely and sincerely interested in their lives. Because everybody adds to my life. Everybody gets 
equal time now. For me, it was like, dismiss them. Dismiss this valet parker. Dismiss these, you know, peasant secretaries. Now everyone has equal time in my eyes. As a president of the country or a valet, you can't believe the valet parkers in Beverly Hills. They can't wait to see me. I moved to northern Michigan two years ago, and there are some that are still there. When I pulled up the other day, they just almost cried. Because I used to bring them like Diet Cokes on a hot day back to their little booth, you know. And who does I would never do that. I broke the pattern of my self-centeredness, which led, led me to overeat. How does that do that? I was responsible for the world, the wars, the peace, the starving children, the animal torture. No, I'm not. I have my little square today that I take care of. You know, in, a, in the yard at prisons, I get a lot of tapes. I get a lot of tapes from prisoners that were in San Quentin or Folsom. Fantastic tapes. I recommend you get as many tapes as you can and, and trade them with your friends. It gives you another slant at a different part of the country. In prisons, they have a play yard, and then there's squares of concrete, and they have this term. They have to take care of their own square. They're, they all go to the same square like every play day in the prison yard. And so one guy in programs, and this complaining to his sponsor, like, look at that guy over there. And the sponsor goes, stop it. Is that your square? No. You pay attention to your square, not, not that square. And so I use that as a code now for my sponsorees. Is that your square? No. You pay attention to your square today, your family, your job, pay taxes. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm going to be levitating here in any in minute, but um, I'm not. Life's hard. I mean, life is a challenge. It's fantastic for me. But life is a lot easier at a 6 day than it is at a 24. I lost more weight by surrendering to the steps and having a sponsor who works it by the big book than I ever did at those shishi poo-poo resorts where I paid like 1500 bucks a pound to lose. I mean, I, I mean, I was, you know, when I walk by in mirrors right now in shopping malls, and did you, you ever unexpectedly see yourself in the mirror? When I was like a size 24, I would start crying. It was horrifying. And now when I see myself, I go, who is that? <laughs> well, shit, it's me. I mean, I can't believe that, you know, a plexiglass, a protective wall has come between me and excess food, provided what? That I dress hips? No. That I, uh, uh, you know, uh, can write checks? No. That I read the literature? No. It is, I have a sponsor. I have a daily OA routine. It is, I'll tell you what I do after the meeting if you're interested. I have a routine that's called do the deal. I tell my sponsorees, do the deal. I don't care whether it's good or a bad day. I do that. I have a daily routine. I have sponsorees. And I have buddies that I call. I am surrounded by program people that do it. And, you know, don't think that, you know, I have a bottom line abstinence break. I have green, red, and yellow foods. You know what that means. Red, can't ever touch them, ever. I'm off and running. I'm back to a size 24. Yellow, not a lot. Green, I can eat, you know, eat, eat moderate portions. Portions, by the way, are also part of my abstinence. Portions. So, but, you know, that's a, the technical side of the food. But when I can tell you, when I straighten out my insides, the, the outsides take care of themselves. And it's fantastic. And let me see. I want to see just a couple more of my notes. I just feel like... Um, I just can't reiterate enough how important it is to not do it alone. You, you, you know, for me, I must, and I get newcomers, newcomers that are green and dying, and, you know, the anorexics and bulimics in here, it's the same disease, but it manifests itself different, you know, food obsession. But I do only sponsor, you know, eating machines because I can't relate to the other parts of that disease. But, you know, it's, it's a wonderful life. And when I do eat more, don't think I'm cotton carrots, ladies and gentlemen. 
I eat more today at 137, and I travel all over the world than I ever did when I weighed 257. I'm free. I'm free. I can go into a 7-Eleven today and have an abstinent lunch. I can walk into Ham, uh, Del Taco down here and have an abstinent dinner. You pick and choose. And when I was 257 on a diet, I can't go here, I can't go there, can't go here, can't go there. I was in a prison. I was in a physical prison. I was in an emotional prison. It was all about me. I mean, I'm a friend of mine being in the hospital. Oh, I can't go, can't go, can't go. Why, Jeannie? She needs to see you. She needs support. She needs company. I can't stand hospitals. What, what's, the, what's the operative word in there? I. I? Get over myself. Go be nice to somebody else. So it was a, it's a program of, like, smashing all my old ideas, the old ideas that I was the center of attention. I was the, the world. I carried the world's problems, which made me eat. When I see heavy people on the street, I go, because that's your me. I go, what is she eating over? What are you eating over? You know, come and tell me. Come and sit on my lap. Come and confide in me. What are you eating over? It's, it's in vain. You know, what the, so that's what I did. I just, so, you know, I kind of want to wrap it up with, I can hardly think of anything that I do today in my life that I did at 257. I'm talking emotional, spiritual, and physical. I eat more than I did at 257. Spiritual, I have a God throughout my life through all day. And I think I'm not in India handing out money to the poor. I'm a kick-ass businesswoman. You know, I mean, it's not like I'm saying the rosary every day. But I do have a God in my life. Believing in God for me is not enough. He must be in my life, in my office, in my ladies' room, in my car. And I have emotional centeredness and stability. I, I do not fight. I fight my tongue a lot because I am quick. And I can, I can decapitate and murder people with my tongue. I don't do that anymore. That is a break of a pattern. I calm down, and I'll tell you what OA gives me, and I'll close. Just speaking of uh, breaking the pattern, it gives me a window, a little window, but a window to shut the hell up and think and do and say the right thing. It gives me a break. When I was eating or starving, I was like a loose cannon. Those balloons you let out of air all over this room. I was psycho queen. And I still can be, can't you tell? But, you know, I don't do that. And, you know, I just do that, do my routine every day. I get centered. I'm a better person than I ever was. I'm a new wife, sister, daughter, neighbor, OA person, charitable. Lots of charities here for me. Animal welfare, underprivileged children. And I don't like kids, but I do send them to organizations. Check. And, um... I'll pay for them. I just won't take care of them. So, <laughs> see, I'm also honest. I could go, oh, I just love little children. So, anyway. <laughs> but, you know, isn't it great to be honest in a room full? And we're all alike. We're all, we're all twins inside. We all look different in our table. We're all, we're all identical twins. You're just like me. Maybe you're just at a different part of your program. That's wonderful to step out of my old self breaking the pattern. I was this 257-pound, pissed-off, poison-stealing person wearing this big rubber fat suit you see in the movies. When I came to OA, I just unzipped it. So my chin down to the... I'm 137 pounds. And this is the new me, physically. But my physical is only 30% of what really happened to me. And the other 60-some percent is really what rules the 30% physical. Don't ever forget that in my program. The insides rule my outsides. I had the best food plan in the world when I was 257 pounds. No one had a cleaner food plan than me. I just didn't do it. 
I wrote it down, but I didn't have the power to apply it. And like Michelle mentioned, this is a spiritual program. There's a power in this room. It doesn't have to be God, glass of water. I have a, I have a girlfriend who has, a glass, who has water as her higher power. Someone has a tree. Who cares? As long as it's not me. So I love being a new person. This is a person that, you know, none of you have ever known. I hope to get to know all of you this weekend in some manner. And, you know, I'm never going to stop talking about Overeaters Anonymous, ever. And I'm going to do this until I die a day at a time. I moved to northern Michigan. There were hardly any meetings. There are now five meetings up there. And we have like 11 people tops at a meeting because I want to be around all of you. It's a, it's a fellowship. I could have stayed in my house up there and read the literature and called you and sent you newsletters how great and skinny I am. That does not work that way. That's the early stage of a relapse. If I am moving backwards, if I'm not doing anything in OA, I'm moving backwards. It always has to be a forward path, always. So I love coming here. I love seeing all your beautiful faces because you're, you're me. You're my fellows. You're my soulmates. And uh, thank you so much. Thank you, Jeannie and Michelle. Uh, we're going to have questions now from the Ask It Basket. So I don't know where it is. And uh, if, if anyone has it, can they pass it up? Oh! Oh, <laughs> oh. well. Actually, they say, it says here that there are questions provided. Oh, okay. Yeah, and uh, please um, ask the person, Michelle or or Jeannie, uh, who you're who you're directing the question to. Yes. Yeah. What was? Obviously, uh, Okay, I'll do that then. Uh, yeah, right. True. Yes, right. So you just answer, you just say the question. I'll just repeat the question into this. Yeah, uh, Jake said that uh, Jeannie mentioned making a change in your plan two years ago. Come up here. I want to reiterate this. For 12 years, I had unbelievable. I was a circuit speaker. Miss O.A. poster girl, but I didn't, I always remained humble because you just can't be, there's no stars in here ever. It's a day at a time, as I said, whoever got up the earliest has the most abstinence. So I'm in northern Michigan in the woods, you know, and if I'm not seeing you a lot, you know, my mind, my disease starts working on me. So what I did two years ago, I had a piece of cake the size of the palm of my hand. Can you imagine that? What is step one? I'm powerless over food. I forgot step one. I said, I'm skinny. I'm in northern Michigan, it's snowing, <laughs> and I'm going to have one piece of cake, and I'm going to get back on my not severe, but very structured food plan, which I love. I feel very safe. And you know what? Out of control. I hit a loaded chamber. It's like Russian roulette. Five empty chambers and one loaded. I picked that 38 up, and it was loaded. It had a bullet in it. And for the next six days, I ate like a machine. I set the alarm early to eat the first, to be the first to eat in the house. I stayed up the latest to eat in the house. I went to the stores. I cruised up and down those stores like those women that have $3 million to spend in five minutes with grocery carts, you know. <laughs> Eight, and I was scared. I was scared that I was never going to come back. And then suddenly I woke up, and I, I, called, I called my sponsor out here, and I said, 
and I got clean right away, overnight, clean. So I just prayed my little heart out to God to please help me, please. And I called her, and she goes, sounds to me like you broke your abstinence. You have to start over. And I said, me? Water walker? Genie? Me? Icon? You know, I'm, I'm kind of joking, kidding on the square. And I did start over, because you know what? It is about the food. If I'm standing up here saying to you I'm abstinent and I'm 360 pounds, I'm abstinent from what? Because OA, for me, ladies, my experience and gentlemen, it's not, it's healthy body weight, shooting for healthy body weight, always shooting for it, not just maintaining a 100-pound weight loss when I was 400. That's quite a healthy body weight. And I started over. My food has been so ultra-clean. I'm very clear. My conscience is clear. I kind of wanted to impress you. I'm only human. But, you know, there are a lot better clubs in, in, in the world to impress than OA. <laughs> not that OA is the dregs. It's not. But, but, see, no, it's not. You people are my oxygen. You're my emergency room. Would you ever go to a hospital emergency room and lie to the nurse about what's wrong with you? You, you want to get saved. You people are my emergency room. I had to come in here and say, help me. I started my food over because it is about the food. It is. I insist that my sponsorees be honest about their food. I don't care if they had a half a damn cake. They've got to be honest. I never get mad at them. Would you get mad at, at yourself because you had cancer? And don't shame yourself. I had cancer. I have a disease that's incurable. I hope that answers your question. It is about that food, though. The deal is just very simple. Get up, say the third step, third step and seventh step prayer in bed. Get on my knees, say the first three steps. Page 86 of the big book, I refer to it. Upon awakening, I review my day. What's going to happen today in my life is my character defects are going to come up. You can write it down after, I guess. Call my sponsor or hear from my sponsorees. Call two OA buddies, my peers, two girlfriends. Pray before and after every meal. Before prayer is, please, God, let this be enough. The after is, thank you, God, the meal is over. Go to three OA meetings a week minimum. Do a written 10 step every night. I didn't say a book. I said just a paragraph. You think that takes a lot of time? You know how much time I used to sit in front of the TV and eat? Hell no. It takes like two hours a day tops. That's the deal, but I'll, I'll, you know, I'll tell you more after. This is sort of uh, rushing back and forth. I guess this is going to be exercise. I've got two hands up, so I'll go with this one, and then you. All righty. Our question is the difference for both panel members between abstinence and a food plan. And Michelle, speak first. Um, for me, uh, and actually, in the OA literature, Absence is the action of refraining from compulsive overeating. And um, when I was going through those, those hard times and I had eaten a couple cookies, I called my sponsor and I said, I broke my abstinence. And she had me write on what refraining means, and, because cookies aren't on my abstinence, uh, aren't on my food plan. Sugars, desserts aren't on my food plan. I mean, I, I eat ketchup, but I don't eat desserts. And I um, and I include muffins and treat, treat foods on my my food plan. Why? Because I could eat a whole package of them, an entire package of muffins and, and cookies, and have and have and more. And um, so my sponsor had me write about what is refraining from compulsive overeating. Refraining is holding back. Compulsive overeating 
All of our compulsive reading looks different. Um, mine did look like packages of cookies and, and pints of ice cream and hiding and isolating. She had me define everything about my compulsive reading, just like, I mean, I had to tell her everything. Well, what does it look like? Were you alone? Hell, yes, I was alone. I was in my bedroom. My kids were in bed, and I, you know, I just surrounded myself by my, with my, my favorite foods. Not, they weren't just my favorite foods. They were my, you know, my life's blood at the time, I felt like. And so um, what she said, what she said, then refraining from that behavior is, uh, is abstinence. And um, so for me, is eating a couple of cookies a really serious thing? Hell, yes, it's very serious. Do I call my sponsor right after I do it? I mean, I've done it. I haven't, I can't, in my four and a half years, I've done it a couple times, so it's not like I do it. But it's very serious. It's something I, because it will lead to compulsive overeating to me. And I call my sponsor right away. And, um, and <laughs> I do, get, I always get that question. If we weren't talking about the food, what would we be talking about? I call my sponsor every night anyway, but I am absolutely honest. That is the one thing God has given me. I, last Sunday night I was talking to her, and I was very upset about something. And I said, you know, God's letting me down. God's not letting me down. God's catching me. Oh, how is God catching me? And she said, because God has given you the gift of being excruciatingly honest. And and that's, that's I mean, that's what the big book talks about. That's really all it takes. You know, you don't need to be a superstar. You don't need to be, uh, you know, have an IQ of 200. You don't need any of it. Um, it really just takes rigorous honesty. On the plan of eating, the plan of, plan of eating for me is, is number one, what keeps me abstinent. So staying away from sugar, um, staying away, you know, I don't want to go into details about my plan of eating because my plan is different. Um, but I, I stay away from flour. Um, why? Because it's just a lot of floury foods that I eat a lot of. And, um, and that, wasn't, that wasn't like something I came in here. I didn't, my food plan was not, my food plan has evolved. Generally, the road has narrowed in terms of my food plan. I've had to take foods out. I've, I've been able to add, like, I can only think of one food I've been able to add. Um, but, um, but generally, foods come out. Because, you know, take sugar out, you put something else in. Um, but my food plan is what keeps me abstinent. It's what keeps me honest. It keeps my, um, my, it gives me physical recovery. It gives me emotional recovery because even if I'm not, like, technically breaking my abstinence, like I said, there's some things I need to look at about what, why I am eating outside my food plan. And, and it gives me spiritual recovery, too, because when I'm eating, um, whether it's, you know, dabbling in food at 10 o'clock at night, I have no business eating food at 10 o'clock at night. I got business going to bed at 10 o'clock at night. And, um, and so when I'm doing that, there's a big wall between me and God. I mean, there just is. If I'm turning to food, I'm not turning to God. And so that, for me, is, is the difference between plan of eating and, and abstinence. Um, so that's my Well, uh, basically, uh, I'm pretty much the same as Michelle, which, you know, I love the word refrain. That means to what? Not do. So my food plan isn't, my abstinence is, is threefold. It's a threefold disease. I premeditate my meals in the morning. I forgot to tell this lady in the purple. That doesn't mean I count carrots. I kind of figure out where I'm going to be and what I'm going to have. And also, by the way, exceedingly important portions, words not spoken about a lot, from, from me. So I premeditate my meals. But my abstinence, I must abstain from compulsive overeating today, 
emotionally, I want to be very centered. I want to be kind, generous, nice, smiling, not lose my temper, not judge, not be jealous, um, not decapitate my elderly mother who knows no better, even though I think she personally has sets out every day to get me. She doesn't. She's an old woman. You know, and, you know, that is an abstinence emotionally and also spiritually abstain. That means I must put, I want, not I must, I love to and I want to put God in my life throughout the day. I said it earlier, believing in God is not enough. I want to have him in my life. When I first came in OA, I bought a little cheapo ring at like Woolworths. It's not even around anymore. I put it on a strange finger. Every time I looked at it, I went, hello, God. Thank you for being in my life today because he's my boss. That's abstinence threefold, you know, physical, emotional, and spiritual. And also, here's a very important one. I do not criticize or talk negatively to myself. You would not believe the way I used to address myself. If I talked to you the way I talked to me, you would call the cops. I was so mean, cruel, you worthless. I can't even say it because there's guys in the room. Anyway, uh, and so food plan, food plan, like Michelle said, is I just have three meals a day. I eat about, I eat everything in the world. Can you imagine that? Me, looks like this, except zero refined sugar. And this gentleman here, Jake, if I have one M&M today, I must start my time over. That is my bottom line abstinence. Absolutely no obvious sugar. I said obvious. Sugar's in everything now. Obvious in anything in the confectionery department. Can't cook cookies, candies, pies, whatever. Can't have it. Not one M&M. Not one after-dinner mint at a fine restaurant. Can't have it. I, I refrain, and, and that, that's red. Red, and that's my bottom line. Can you imagine everything else is this? And some, here's yellow flour, as Michelle entered, particularly white flour. That's a yellow. I have like one piece of white bread a year or something. I mean, and that's when I'm in a corner and there's nothing else available. But, you know, it's uh, important for me to have abstinence on three levels. Three. Because not eating today is not enough. That's like the dog, tail wagging the dog. I want the dog to wag the tail. And my dog is my emotional and my spiritual centeredness. So, I hope that answered your question. Thank you. All right, this gentleman in the back. The question has been about uh, body image and how Jeannie addresses her body image. Well, uh, Mike, let's see. First of all, you know what? I, don't, I spend a lot of time in the mirror these days because, you know, going from a 24 to a size 6 eight is kind of a nice thing. But it's not the leader of my day anymore. OA, to me, replaced the fact that I want to be the perfect body in the world, the perfect person. OA has given me the message. This is my experience, not my opinion. My experience is I now have another thing in life to do besides uh, not compulsively overeat, and that is to, like, kind of carry the message of a power greater than me. So I sort of, like, pay attention to my – I weigh myself once a year. Can you imagine my clothes rule my body? And also – so today I have a job. Besides, you know, three meals, pre-portion and all that, I have to be a, a, a person of attraction for OA. As I said, nice, kind, courteous – and so my physical, I pray to get, get my physical obsession out of my mind. And my body image was kind of like a byproduct of doing OA, incredibly so. And, you know, I soaked 
my sponsorees that like concentrate too much on their thighs for an audition or whatever the heck they're doing, or some girls that I know, they're not doing obviously the spiritual and the emotional because their thighs have now become the subject matter of the day, and they're never going to go down. You know, when you focus on something, it gets bigger. <laughs> So it's like if you want your thighs to go down, you've got to work the steps, get spiritual, work with others. And my body image, I, I think I look, you know, I'm healthy body weight. I'm, you know, pretty, pretty slim, and um, I'm happy the way I am, you know, although I want to be like 69 pounds. But this is good enough because when I do the spiritual and the emotional, as I said, I want to say it again, the insides rule my outsides. And so I have sponsor, I've had sponsors in the last 14 years wake up crying. I go, what's the matter? I've lost so much weight, and I wasn't even paying attention, you know? What, can you imagine that? That actually happened to her. She just, like, melted like, I call her a stick of butter. She's my little stick of butter. She melts every time I see her. How'd you do it? I just, I just worked the steps with God and a, and a sponsor and a lot of women and men that worked the program the way, you know, in the big book now, big book. And it's wonderful. And her body image, it's the least thing she thinks of. We go shopping. We have a ball by these dinky little sizes. But it's not our number one for the day because when that becomes my number one for the day, that's not OA. It's not OA. It's about how to be a, a, a great person and carry the message. I don't mean standing out front again with a crucifix or whatever or the Star of David carrying that message. I mean just a nice person. Can't you tell people when you travel around the world that are in program? Can't you pretty much tell it? I mean, in many cases, they're nice. All the cab drivers are in that program. They all know where the, they all know where the meeting is. They go, I'm going to that church. He goes, okay, friends of Bill, I know where it is. I love those cab drivers. And, you know, just by their courteousness and they take the time to listen. And So that's it. My body image, I'm happy with it at goal weight. When I wasn't, I was still happy because I knew I was moving towards goal weight. People that aren't moving towards goal weight get really disenchanted with OA. That's not OA. They're not working it. I'm going to quote and be kind of crude. There's an old lady I know on a tape. She goes, OA is a lot like sex. If you're not, if you're not enjoying it, you're not doing it right. OA is a fantastic program of enjoyment, a fantastic spiritual community, a lifestyle. So I hope I answered the question.